0: Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin
1: Gersten. Hey Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other coaching focused podcasts on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players' Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavaliers Central, Nuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, The Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game From grassroots to the NBA.
0: All right. Happy Memorial Day week. This is Beyond the Ball with Coach Eric Klump. I am Justin Gerstung coach clumpy how we doing today we're recording on a sunday afternoon it's gorgeous out here
2: yes um it is gorgeous out finally and again thank you to all of those that have served this is certainly not just a long weekend we recognize what your efforts have done to make this happen so again we appreciate you what's happening in your world
0: Oh, nothing, nothing. We just got up this morning. It was a great day to be out at church. Our church is starting a little bit slower than some others, coming back to normal capacity. Um, but it was nice today because we saw a lot of faces that we have not seen yes. in a long, long time. So it was nice to get out and you know hear the word at church and then you know enjoy some sunshine. We're going to knock this podcast out and then maybe go to the park here real quick.
2: Excellent, excellent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we got a great guest. But before we do, I, I we were talking off air and you got some words of wisdom. What do you got?
2: Sure. You know, the last couple of pods that we've been doing, the word urgency kept coming up. And, you know, it was interesting when we had Micah Mills on. He said that was one of the first, the number one things of his goals when he's got his team out traveling around. And he wanted his young players to um, raise their urgency. We've kept on using that word. And really dissecting my team from last year, I also felt that was one thing that we needed to do. But it can really be confusing, that word urgency. So I went back, and it's something that uh, Kevin Eastman talks about in his book, Why the Best are the Best. And he states, "...the best performers understand that the presence of urgency is how they gain separation from their competition." We must understand that urgency does not mean going as fast as we can and being reckless, but winning urgency is an attitude of now, being prepared now, getting things done now, coming up with the next best thing now. And I wanted to make sure we hit on that um, on this pod because, man, we have been been using that word a lot lately.
0: Yeah, I I mean, the definition there is so good. You know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, when you say urgency is, you know, this constant struggle of getting our guys to play with a purpose. And I'm constantly, I feel like I'm a walking contradiction in practice. So it's probably on me to better define the word urgency to my team as well, like you were saying, because I'm constantly telling them like, let's go move the pace along, you know, make a better decision now, make a better decision quicker you know, get the ball up the floor, you know, as quickly as possible, race that thing up there with a little bit of space. But then in the next breath, I feel like I'm telling them, slow down, be under control, play off of two feet. And it's like a walking contradiction in coaching, I think. And I think confusion can set in when you're not being very clear. And even me, I don't even know if I'm really even touching on the the right definition of urgency that you are even describing. So yeah, I think that, communication pieces is is super clear. What are you doing with your team to kind of stress the idea of urgency? What are you looking for?
2: Ooh, you know, um, maybe the, the standard of, hey, this possession is worth this many points or this possession, this one possession is going to dictate the game. I don't care if you're up by this many um, or down by this many, this one possession is going to be worth, you know, so on, so on, so points to try to elevate that level of urgency um, at all times in practice.
0: I think that's a, such a good one, too. And I apologize. I kind of put you on the spot there a little bit. But I think that's right, because, you know, we understand that over the course of a game, there's going to be turnovers, you know, and those turnovers happen. Ultimately, we would like none, Um, But they're going to happen. But we ultimately want to keep them at, you know, as small amount as possible. And I think that that is part of the issue for our players is they think that there's just so many more possessions left in the game, right? Like, oh, coach, it's not a big deal. We'll just get the ball back in like 30 seconds and it's so not the case there's so many factors that can go into that yeah
2: how many times have we lost a game because of one missed block out and and an offensive rebound for two points or a missed block out on the free throw line those sort of things that there, there needs to be the utmost urgency no matter if it's if it's the first possession in the game or the last possession in the game
0: yeah absolutely yeah so let's work with a little urgency right now we have a great guest today not to transition too abruptly there but great guest coming on with us today we don't want to keep him waiting um but we always have a little bit of the word with us on these podcasts and i'd love if you could share a little
2: sure today i'm going to dive into luke 1215 it's very simple beware beware Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And, you know, we always talk about God has placed us here for a reason. And building up, he can build up his kingdom. He wants us to build up his kingdom in many different ways through many different avenues. And in a world of instant gratification and immediate results, we just never really know. So I'm always just trying to ask myself, you know, I am. what are the gifts and abilities that he has given me? that I can use to serve and to become a blessing for other people. Because really, you know, that that's how I want to be measured.
0: Uh, great words today. So let's be uh, a blessing for others. Let's celebrate uh, our guest that's coming on today, then JP Nurbin is joining us, who is a former coach, uh, also an author, and kind of makes his way around the podcast circuit a little bit here. but. We just love the fact that he's going to join us today and maybe talk um, stuff a little bit beyond the ball. Any any ideas about JP coming up?
2: No, I'm just really excited. All of our guests have been tremendous, and I have just been a sponge trying to listen to all the insights from them. So let's get at it.
0: All right, Coach. We're going to break here in a second, and then we'll be ready to go.
1: Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more that's a r y s e com.
0: all right guys we are back with beyond the ball we're joined with a really special uh guest jp nirvin coach how are
3: you i'm doing good brother it's good to be back on or good to be back talking to you so
0: yeah it's been it's been a little while it's it's, it's going to be nice to catch up Eric, you want to get us started?
2: Yeah, JP, thanks for coming on Beyond the Ball. You know, it's it's our mission to celebrate individuals that are serving and using their platform to be a blessing to so many other people. And when uh, Justin came along and said, we got to get this guy on, I was super excited um, to, ha- to, to have a conversation with the founder and president of Thrive on Challenge LLC. So, JP, just take us uh, into that process of like how that happened.
3: Um, yeah, it's interesting story, I guess, in the sense that um, you know, I was I was coaching high school basketball in Tennessee. Uh, after you know, really brief overview of my timeline, I grew up in South Carolina, played basketball uh, at the University of South Carolina um, as a walk-on, and then I went to Ireland, finished degree there. Long story there, but I was uh, got my degree in. Uh, PE and English teaching and sports science at the University of Limerick and started coaching, coached five years there. Um, and then moved to Tennessee, coached five years at high school there. And during that time in Tennessee, I kind of hit rock bottom as a coach. Um, I was struggling. I always really wanted to prioritize character and, 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 you know, teaching kids the life lessons and stuff like that. That, but, um, I wasn't really good at doing that. Uh, like like so many of us in coaching, you know, I I struggled um to find the right balance of uh between, you know, this guy that would want to build relationships and caring at the same time holding kids accountable and you know disciplining them. And um so yeah, I just really struggled with with my team's culture and um reached out to a guy named Jamie Gilbert, uh, who co-authored the book Burn Your Goals and Jamie mentored me and Helped me go through a real personal transformation in my own self and my own coaching, uh, which is really where the culture transformation starts. You know, is is starts within within yourself. You know, I I wasn't a very good leader, so I made that change. Uh, As I started to make that change, I started to kind of document that process by starting a blog, and um, I wrote that blog, um, and it really resonated with a lot of coaches. Not because I was winning a lot of games, but I guess just. Uh, the level of vulnerability that I shared on my struggles, even as I was trying to be more transformational and I had these new tools, I was still experiencing resistance. So I shared those things uh, through the blog and that blog, um, you know, really resonated with coaches, which led to me uh, when we moved up to Pennsylvania for my wife's job, rather than stepping back in the classroom, and, uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to try to, you know, make this work full time. And I didn't know what that it was. I just knew it was writing more. Starting a podcast and maybe trying to speak to teams and stuff. But, uh, in that, in that first year, um, after starting the podcast and writing, I started to realize that my heart was in serving coaches. Um, uh, it wasn't about so much speaking to teams as it was getting on the phone and talking with coaches and helping them to, uh, feel heard, uh, to be a support network for them and occasionally help to provide them with some better solutions as far as how to approach the culture and, and you know, and their team.
0: So, JP, the one of the words I heard you say in there is resistance, and we had we've had a chance to talk, um, in the past, and a lot of what your stuff does resonates with me on a much bigger picture. When you say you were met with some resistance, was that from players? Was that from other coaches? What do you mean by that? When you said you were starting to transform, but there was still some resistance there.
3: Well, I mean, I think you you set out on this journey to help people grow, to become better uh, versions of themselves, right? You have this aspirational vision. You share that and you think everyone's going to hop right on board, you know, like, yeah. here we go, you know, like, and a lot of people don't, well, they say they want that or they don't even say they want that and, and they just, they're no, they, they. it's a transactional sporting culture. It's about the minutes their child plays, um, it's about the minutes that kid, you know, I, I get to play if you're the athlete it's about putting them in position to get a scholarship it's about winning it's so much beyond that um uh, of of people just the they're, they struggle to prioritize that aspirational vision and so there's there's not a um it's really hard to find alignment so players might be resistant to that and parents might be resistant to that and even administrators you know might be resistant to it so uh you get that initial resistance um what i, I think we have really tried to find and and work with coaches on is finding new ways to maybe not just fight through that resistance, but actually to minimize that resistance. And I think we're getting more and more successful at that, um, at trying to meet people where they're at and move the needle from there as well too.
0: So what would be some, not that I want to steal your whole message, but what would be like some of the basic ways, maybe one or two ways that you would try to mitigate that resistance and just. You know, meet them where they're at.
3: Well, I mean, I think whether you're taking over a brand new program or you've been in a program for a few years, I think if you're trying to, okay, hey, I want to hit the reset on the culture. I want to really want to prioritize character and the relationships and the experience of our athletes. Then I really think you should step back. I would start by actually getting feedback on seeing where people are at and asking your players questions on uh, what's important to them, what are their aspirations, what are their goals. Um and, and just once we know what's important to them, what their aspirations are, and you could do the, almost the same with parents through like parent meetings and uh, parent workshop type things, you first need to know where people are at. And a lot of times those things that people will communicate like um within the players uh, would be not just – I mean – sometimes they're going to tell you certain things that they think you want to hear, but they're not always about the championships. I think in a lot of players, I think there is that are stuff they want to have a good experience. Um, they want to have good relationships. They want to get better. They want to do hard things. Like I think a lot of kids articulate that from our experience. They start from that place of articulating that. So once they've articulated what's important to them, um, then it's like, okay, let's talk about creating that experience. Let's talk about. A process for you to achieve those goals for you to become that player um, and and for us to build that type of team culture and then it 's really just getting them to see. And come up with a lot of the standards of the program, a lot of the ways and the processes and the procedures of the way you do things that honestly would probably have been very similar to what you would have come up with in the first place. But here now you've done it where you first off said, okay, this is what's important to them. And then you're starting to get them to be involved in the planning of that. And so – as they become involved in the planning, they're going to take more ownership of it. When they don't meet and follow through with that process, those standards, now you're in a better position to um, come in there and offer some support, bring awareness to, the, to their behaviors, their, their habits, their attitude or effort, not being aligned with their vision, with their goals. And yes, occasionally you have to also hold them accountable and sometimes uh, more than we'd like. But you're now in a place where you have that relationship, you've asked them these questions, and so they're more open to being held accountable. Um, And also people see the connection between the standards, the behaviors, and what they really want in life.
2: JP, just a phenomenal answer. So I want to ask you a piggyback on that answer again is – With the parents, you know, we're in a situation where it can be a very awkward conversation. But how do we take steps to get parents on the "quote unquote" bus?
3: Yeah, I think it's it's there's a depending on your circumstances. Some people might be able to in a situation where they can start having some one-on-one conversations with their players' parents. They may have that type of relationship. They maybe they don't. Um, but I would really want to know like hey what's what's really important for you um, about you know for your kids' experience for your son or your daughter's experience? I'd really want to know initially what what's important to them. One of the ways I like to do that is in a workshop that I would do uh, sometimes when I go visit teams and that that workshop, one of the things I'll do is I'll take I'll cut out you know 10 little things um, like it might be winning a championship. It, you know, it's kind of outcomes it would be uh, having a great experience um, you know developing as a person, building great relationships, becoming a better player uh, being a starter I would just list all these potential outcomes things that would might be important to the athlete or the parents you know and I have I give those on a, put those on tables and I have parents sit around on those tables so I break them into groups maybe it might be three four or five parents to a table. And they've got all these like 10 little stickers. And I say, okay, what is most important from society? And I want you to stack those in order of importance. Like what does society value the most? And so they might at the top put winning the championship, number of points you score, college scholarships. At the bottom is like, you know, the experience, et cetera, and stuff like that, right? Uh, becoming a better person sometimes. They, they, they admit that, right? That from a society's perspective. And then I ask, okay, uh, five to 10 years from now, what will be most important when it comes to you know your son's his son's you know experience here about you know playing playing basketball or whatever sport it is, and um, then they reorder it, and you know they always the top. It's it's about the experience. It's about who they become through the process. It's and, and near the bottom is is the wins and stuff like that. And it's a real great activity because it gets parents to step back and really reflect on, geez, what is most important. And then I say, and then I always come back and I say, okay, let's look at these things, and here's the things that you know, society values, but here's what rattles the most. What are we investing in here? You know, what are we, when we get into the car after the game, what are we talking about? What are you focusing on? When you're watching your son or daughter play, what are you observing? Are you caught up in the win, the loss? Or are you actually focusing on, you know, are they having fun out there? Are they connecting? Are they being good teammates? That type of stuff.
0: JP, we had a chance over the last couple of years to talk a little bit. And I think, what I found so helpful about your mentorship program was just helping me get to a place where I understood that better uh not only for my kids who were growing up but just recognizing the difference between athletes between being like a performance driven athlete and a you know a participation driven athlete what What is maybe some of the challenges that you talk to coaches about? When you have kids of both degrees on your team, you know, how do, is there a way that you try to strike a balance with that? Or um, is there a way to help coaches navigate through that setting their standards?
3: Yeah. When it comes to like player commitment, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I think we're getting greater resistance um, from parents on this. Like I've, I've actually had in the last two weeks, uh, three coaches, three different coaches, and they've had, all three of these coaches have had the exact same issue. They've gotten an emails. They've got emails. A couple of emails from parents saying, um, "Hey, our off-season you know schedule is this all you've got?" Like um, they want more. They're complaining that there's a not enough basketball or soccer on the schedule, and then they got the exact opposite. Like how can you expect a freshman to do all this? Like it's just like, or uh, how can you expect a player to do, and and like? They have a summer job. They play their sports. Like so, you even see like it's really difficult from uh, like you know just even a parent's perspective getting their buy-in. So what I really honestly feel like at the high school level, um, and honestly, a little bit even at the co- the collegiate level, is I really feel feel. Actually, 100 percent the collegiate level. We do this even in Division One programs. It's it's the same kind of approach. It's like we have to be really clear on what the minimum standard here is. And I'm not going to say if you're listening to this podcast, I know what your minimum standard is. Like every high school and college is different. In some high schools, they're just happy if you show up. In other places, they you know it's really really competitive. You know, kids are being recruited in, or they're you know they're transferring in. I mean, like every environment is different. But you have to know and communicate what that minimum standard is. And that minimum standard could be, we're just happy when you're here. We hope you can make it and the coaches focus on creating an environment that's fun, that people want to be a part of. Other ones, there might be like, hey, you got to make it to team camp, or you're going to do this, or you're going to make so many workouts. I would say more and more of our coaches are probably going with that minimum standard of just we're not – really, there is no standard because so many, so many states don't have – They have rules that you can't make it mandatory, et cetera. But what we try to say is more important is focusing on, you know, hey, we're. You, you know, there, whatever this minimum standard is here, we're also offering more opportunities for those that are interested. If you really want to be invested this season and it, hey, it could help you get more playing time. It can't guarantee it, you know, but, um, you know, here's a pathway. And so the coach designs that type of pathway. That's a voluntary thing that people sign up for. And maybe it's like that ideal group, like you got a group me or a group chat. You might do a book study in the off-season. You got extra workouts. Maybe people are sharing. They're charting it. You might send daily motivations. But you really try to feed those kids that really want to be involved and want to be a part of it. And you're giving them opportunities to learn and grow. And you make that a lot of fun. And you make that a really supportive group where it's not so much about you overwatching them and pushing them. It's them saying, hey, I want to be really committed. I want to become a better player this off-season or this season. But I need help in that process. I need help following through on my commitments. And that's what it is. It's more of a support group for players that want to be elite or whatever you want to call it. And I don't really necessarily like that word. But whatever you want to call it, like the players that really want to be great, this is a support group where you're going to be supporting each other as you chase um, greatness or whatever whatever it is that moving up the next level.
0: Yeah, I think, JP, I appreciate you expounding on that because – That's one of the things we talked about previously. And I feel like my whole mentality um, shifted uh, after our conversations because I was always a coach. You know, we coach Eric and I both coach at small, suburban slash rural districts where we share our athletes with other sports teams all the time. And it was always a conversation of, well, we need everybody here. We need to do this, you know, to be successful. And it's really changed my approach because now it's like you just said actually um it's one of those things where we are here we are presenting opportunities to get better and we just really celebrate and you know push those that are there and want to be there and make it a really fun atmosphere and i think over the last couple years it's really developed into more guys coming because they know what kind of atmosphere um they're going to be included in and I think the biggest thing is is just communication that, you know, for the parents so they know when it is, because sometimes athletes don't always tell their parents those things. And then also just also just communicating that if you can't be here, you know, like you said, different standards for different schools, but it doesn't mean we don't, you know, we don't like you or we're we're not expecting you to be here in the winter, you know, come season time. It's just we got to be very clear in our communication. Would you agree with that? That communication is paramount.
3: Yeah, I, I think, and and here's some things that I've seen coaches do: is they they think, okay, I'm you know I've got these two different pathways. We communicate the minimum standard, but for some reason, the message people hear is it's not mandatory, but it's mandatory, or it's not you know like that like that type of thing. And so you have to be really clear on that. I, I think um, you know Nate. My 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 friend and co-host of our podcast and and our mentor and for for Thrive on Challenge, um, Nate had a great line there where he's like, "We've got basketball five days a week. We don't really even want to see you there five days a week. If you want to be there, it's five days a week. That's great, but like it's just like, you know, it's just we want you to be involved in other things. We do want you to go out there and have a summer job. We want you to." You know, go places with your family. We want you to play other sports. So there's no expectation. There's almost like we don't, we don't want you just to be just in the gym all the time. And I think, I think that's really a powerful message. I think a lot of that might make some people uncomfortable, but I mean, honestly, like I think it's great for a kid to be there. Like, and I was that type of athlete. I was going to be in the gym every single day. Um, because I had a really, I was, I was seriously committed to my dream of playing college basketball. Really committed. I think a lot of kids, and I, I had that since I was three. But I think a lot of our kids, a lot of our youth, you know, they're just on this path, and the path is, oh, you you have to want to play at the next level, and if you don't, you're lazy or you're not motivated, or you're not a hard worker. So if anybody that has talent whatsoever at their sport, it's like, oh, you got to play the next level, and then there's they're they're on the path, and the path is a lot of I won't even say specialization; it's just really, really a high workload. That isn't really providing them a lot of wide range of experiences. And honestly, one of the most powerful things in my life was working a summer job of installing heat and air conditioning systems in 100-degree attics in South Carolina. So I think, um, yeah, I think with your approach there, Justin, sounds fantastic, and it's just about communicating in the right way.
2: Now, JP, you mentioned uh, specialization in there. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, you're more of a specialization sort of person when it comes to, you know, if students have that uh, Division one aspiration, or are you a uh, play as many sports as you can to learn as many different things from a variety of different coaches?
3: You know, I, I think it's so much better. I'm not one or the other. I just would really encourage. Uh, the the athlete or the young person to be able to have the decision to make the decision. I I was playing basketball in high school and I remember I got a lot of pressure from the football coaches and stuff to go out there and play in the football team, but I didn't want to play football. I just didn't want to. It wasn't really of that much interest to me. So, um, you know, like could it have been good for me? Maybe, you know, I ran cross country for a few years. I did swimming, you know, I, I would have, I don't think we should be emphasizing one or the other. I, I think there's just allowing kids to have choice. I think it's great to be a multi-sport athlete. But honestly, if I was completely honest here, the passion that I probably didn't pursue in life um, and in high school, being an athlete, was uh, drama. I would have loved to have been in a musical or a play. And I never had that opportunity because that was never on the cards and no jock in high school was ever going to try out for the for the school musical. And that would have been a much different experience than getting on, on the uh, – and it could have helped me a lot, I think, with, you know, being up on stage and performance and, you know, mental focus. I mean, there's a lot of benefits from it, right? And also just the fact that it's something that actually interested me, uh, but I never had the courage to go do it.
2: That's so funny. Uh, when you're – when you were discussing something that interests me a lot is uh, book studies and you were just talking about the environment and culture for that. Um, can you just share with us some of your favorites that that you have done uh, with, with some teams or you would promote?
3: Uh, so like a book to do with your players and your Absolutely, team? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I really think it's about um, the type of players you have. So I think if you're a really high caliber you know, very intense, you know, like if you're in a high school, that's going to be a lot of potential college recruit type players. Um, I, my, my number one recommendation is what drives winning by Brett Ledbetter. I just think he does a good job of walking athletes through that process to, to start to find their identity in something uh, beyond beyond the sport. If I was doing uh, high school or collegiate female athletes, um, I really love What Made Maddie Run. It's a serious content um as far as just that story by Kate Fagan but I think it's a really really good book um as as well uh, another great one for female athletes teams would be Carly Lloyd's uh book um something like nobody was watching or something like that I forget the name of it but it was a really good book as well for female athletes um that I, that I would re- recommend uh, after that I mean I just I I do Probably move away from the fable type stories because I I really try to challenge now. Um, I think we need to try to maybe get a little bit more intellectual with some of the books, like, as in sense of the, I mean, I wrote a fable, so it's nothing against fables, but like, I just think there's great. like Legacy About the All Blacks, these type of books, you know, Sam Walker's book, Captain's Class. Like these are going into the research. They're helping people to make the connections to beyond sport as well. So I think so, some of those are my my favorite books as well.
0: JP, good suggestions there for us. So I'm going to change gears just a little bit, maybe get into your your story. So when you started to focus on your career and helping coaches, serving coaches – um, you, what was the process like? Did you start with the podcast first? It was a newsletter. Um, you talked about Nate, who, who's your partner there. Like how did that relationship all come about?
3: Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I started doing some speaking and I was traveling around and I was talking and doing workshops for teams and, um, I would, the workshops were good, you know, and I, I felt like I did a, a good job and coaches were happy. Players were engaged uh, a lot of it early on was just going in there and helping them to set this, their kind of their goal for the season, a purpose statement, standards, and kind of work through some of the drama and conflict that may have existed before there. But, um, you know, what I struggle with there is I would go in there, I'd do that workshop, and then I'd leave, and there would be no follow up. And like coaches would be happy, but then in the year, it's like, oh, yeah, we kind of forgot about those standards, you know? But it was, it's kind of just kind of fell into it. I had a few coaches start to reach out after I was doing the podcast, and they were just like, hey, I really love your stuff, and we would chat. And people started saying, hey, they like to make it regular. And then I said, all right, well, let's. You know, I just started charging a little bit of money for it, you know. And um, that's become the kind of the core of the business is is to be able to support coaches in that way. Um, and you know, I brought Nate on halfway through, or maybe like a, t- a year and a half into the podcast. I met him at uh, Way of Champions conference in Boulder, Colorado. And we really hit it off. I actually, he'd actually been on my podcast and I said, Hey, I'm going out there. I heard you went there before. Do you want to get an Airbnb together? And we ended up hiking a couple mountains together and stuff and just chatting and built a relationship. And so he kind of came in on the podcast. And then once I started reaching kind of capacity as far as the number of coaches I could work with and support at one time, um, you know, I started bringing Nate on to work with some coaches. So we've just found, you know, the mentorship program is, is it's really, it's it, just, it makes sense because at the end of the day, what did I need? When I was in that low point of my coaching journey, I needed someone to talk to. I felt like I was an island. I felt like I was the only guy that struggled with this stuff. I was like – and then to have someone that could talk to you and first off affirm you and what I knew was that I wasn't like a bad coach. I wasn't a bad guy. I was a hard worker. I was passionate. And I was out there to make a difference in kids' lives. And I was doing some things well. And that's honestly that one of the first things I think – all of us need us as, as coaches. The second thing is I think I, I spend my days in culture. You know, like I study, I research it. I've been fortunate to work with over 40, or 50 different coaches at this stage now and different leaders outside of sports. So I've had a lot of different labs. So I'm fortunate to have a bit of like, I'm able to offer some solutions where sometimes coaches can't see. It. And sometimes just that's just because I'm outside their circumstances. And sometimes that's because I've been able to say, well, this is how this coach approached that challenge. So when coaches are also struggling and they need answers to maybe things they don't know how to handle, I can be a sounding board there. And then probably at the deepest level, at sometimes I can help point out some blind spots. The things that coaches just don't know they don't know and they're not seeing, that's kind of holding them back. That takes a lot of time to get to that point in that type of relationship. And I'm very privileged to be able to, to, to be able to do that for some coaches, um, that they trust me that much to have that type of relationship. But, uh, like I said, Justin, at the end of the day, it was just designing something that was like, gosh, what did I need as a coach? You know, when I was in the trenches, this is what I needed.
2: JP, um, I want to just ask you about what you just, just talked about with like the blind spots. And it seems like every every new coach that's getting interviewed, they just always talk about establishing culture, establishing culture, establishing culture. And why do you think that some coaches are far more successful at establishing culture than others?
3: Well, I I think that's a kind of a bit of a tricky question in the sense that culture is – it's very tricky in that you, if you're building your basketball culture, you have to say, well, what type of culture is already within? If you're trying to build a culture in a place, a, a transformational culture that's about character and relationships, but you're in one of the most high-performance type of environments where all they care about is championships, there's been championships every year, and you're trying to talk about, you know, it can be really, really challenging uh, to create the type of culture that you really seek. You know, and um, so I I wouldn't say like I say this because if you're a coach that's struggling to build a great culture, I've got some coaches that are doing all the right things, but they're not in a great environment, you know, and they have an unfortunate that they haven't got off to a good start with wins and losses in that column. And so they really struggle to establish the culture. Uh, The same coach, another coach could be doing the same things in the same process in the same way. But that environment, that community is just all about it. Like I had a coach in the mentorship program that went 1-24 in 24, uh, two years ago. And the culture was strong as I'd ever seen it. I mean, it was incredible. The next year, they do really, really well. You know, like they win a lot of games. Things go good. You know, it's great. And, he, and they kind of pulled out of that. But other coaches, they have a one in 24 season. <laughs> it doesn't matter all the good things they do. It doesn't matter how nice of a guy they are. They're going to run them out of town. So I say that because I just don't want coaches to be like, Oh, I have a, my culture stinks. I must be a bad coach. That's not it at all. Um, I think the people that are, I think there's also what we see in the periphery. I think there's a lot of people that say, Oh, that's a great culture over there. And I'm, you know, when then we look at certain college teams or NBA teams. But you go on the inside and you look there and people don't like each other. People hate each other. People aren't having fun. It's a culture of fear. Um, there's a lot of coaches out there, especially the collegiate level, that talk about culture, that talk about character, but they only care about winning, you know? And so I think it's really easy to, for a coach that says, Oh, look at their culture. They're so strong. Their guys play so hard and stuff, but it's not actually an enjoyable place to be at. And so I think it's it can be easy get you know to fall into this comparison trap. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I really answered your question. I guess I'm no, just offering discla- disclaimers, you know.
0: Yeah, JP, you when we were speaking a while back, one of the things that you know you really helped me with was trying to understand you know the space that you're in and doing the best job where you are. You know, comparing my situation at the time, which is a small school where I was maybe desiring at the time to be like in a more competitive atmosphere uh and i don't know if you remember or not but you you shared a story about a guy who was in the more competitive atmosphere that was looking to be in more of a uh, less stressful you know just come out and play type of culture and i thought that that was pretty powerful that it's always interesting that coaches sometimes are always wanting what's what they can't have you know that the pastor is greener on the other side is there any advice you would give to coaches that are struggling with um their current situation uh and maybe desiring something different is that is that them just like not wanting to figure out their own situation or is there something to that i don't know if i was very clear with my question no no
3: i know exactly yeah it's great it's a good question because i think um if you're struggling and you're trying to build this type of culture, um, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, are you doing everything you possibly can? Are you getting outside help or whatever it is that you can to, to make the right decisions? But, you know, I would say two things. And this is what I kind of would tell some of my coaches. You, have either going to say, you know what? This isn't the right place for me and I'm going to walk away. And I think that takes a lot of courage and I think in a lot of situations, that's the right thing to do. Um, or maybe they'll ask you to walk away and that's okay. You know, if you're just going to stay true to who you are, I think we all need to know what we're willing to do to negotiate on. Um, I, I took a job here during COVID in Ireland coaching a women's semi pro team and, uh, they, they sought me out. They lived, they're local in the area here and, uh, we didn't get to finish our season because of, you know, uh, Lockdowns and stuff, but I interviewed them and I was like, all right. And I'm going into taking this job. I I did it because I knew I couldn't travel that year. And it was like, all right, here's this to be a lot of fun, but I was prepared to like, these are the things I'll get fired for and I'm going to stay true to who I am. And so I think sometimes that means we need to walk away or we just got to go and be who we are, knowing that we could get fired. Uh, and we might lose the team. We might in my situation, I could lose the team and they're going to get rid of me. Um, they're not going to get rid of you know, their star player. Do you know what I mean? That, that type of thing. So at the same time, I had to be willing to meet them where they were at as a environment. Like they were like, we want to finish in the top four of the league. Winning is really important, you know? When it comes to, if I've been there and there's 30, I have players that are 30, 31 and 18, 19, and I'm trying to talk about character building and development, I'm going to lose my players. And so I think you got to to do the head fake, you know, in those situations. You have to develop the character and, and help them to grow as people without them without being like very uh, open about that's what sometimes what you're trying to do. You know, and I think one of my favorite shows on TV right now is Ted Lasso. And that's, that's Ted Lasso to a T. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's just, it's a really good show. And he does that in a professional, you know, it's a fictional story, but over in a professional soccer team in England. And I think that's, that's the key is like, you got to meet your players where you're at. Um, But at the same time, You don't bend on certain things. You're not going to be certain things you bend on, and so I think it's kind of a bit of a uh, those those would be kind of like the two suggestions I would have.
2: JP, um, I was listening to a podcast on uh, slapping glass, and they had the guest was talking about uh, how he really preferred playing over in Europe and the European style of the game. Now you said you were just you know working with a team in Ireland. Is it really that different?
3: Um. Yeah, it's drastically different. Uh, there's a more in Ireland. Is I think there is more of a purity in the game here, and what I mean by that is people play for the love of it. Um. So I had two paid American professionals that we hired and brought over. One of those, uh, Big Ten player, kind of like first team. Um. And she played at T- TCU. Uh, Kiana Ray. Kiana was playing just one year, and then I'm headed off to. Um, you know, back, you know, go, go, go into coaching at the college level. And then I had a girl that played at West Virginia. Uh, she was a fantastic player, a fantastic person, but she has aspirations playing the WNBA, right? Uh, And she's working towards that. And, you know, so, but besides that, everyone else, uh, so we're paying, I'm paid, these girls are paid we're all three of us are professionals everybody else on the team though is actually paying to be a part of the club uh there's you know a 31 year old teacher there's a there's accountants there's people girls that are in college there's girls that are in high school i mean it's that's that's our makeup of our 14 you know 14 person roster so they love the game they want to comp- they're there to compete and they're there to win now some of them have goals like they want to make the irish international team or they maybe want to win the uh you know like a I don't know, get first team honors or something like that, but that's not the focus. And so you go out there, you play, and there's not big crowds. There's not thousands of people. It's the it's a f- minority sport over here in, in Europe. It's four or five or six as farther down the line as far as there's way more popular sports. So it's not notoriety or fame that you're seeking. Um, it's just the purity of the game. And They love the game, and um, so that is make, what makes it really special. JP,
0: that's so great. So how? get us into that a little bit how did you end up in ireland i know you said you went over there for a little bit then came home and then now back over there so what has that process been like for you and your family
3: yeah i grew up in south carolina and you know um headed over to ireland did five years there then to tennessee um and then to pennsylvania then back to ireland and but when i left ireland in 2012 It was really painful, actually. I had a lot of great friendships, a lot of really great relationships. and um, you know. But I came back because I met my wife over there. She's not Irish. She's from Pennsylvania area. So it was kind of funny in the sense that she was over on study abroad for a few months. And I was supposed to fall in love with an Irish girl, but I fell in love with an American girl. So I had to come back to America. Um, So I always gave a hard time for that, but she loved it. Um, we have so many good friends over here. it's 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 a slower, it's a much different pace of life um, over here. And you know, she was fortunate um, to have an offer from Google to go work at their European headquarters in Dublin. and they're one of the greatest companies to work for in the world um, on many lists. and I would and she would agree, and I would agree from our experience and she's worked for some great companies. but uh, you know just it's just it's just a great place to be. Uh, she's we just had our third child. And she's on a, she can take a year's maternity leave. (laughs) So that's, which is obviously vastly different than, than kind of America in that sense. So, uh, we can walk to everything in our life here. There's the school, there's the church, there's the shops, there's everything right next to us and trains and buses to get into the city if we want. It's, it's a special place to be.
0: So what, what took you to Ireland in the first place? You were there playing, correct?
3: So there's a really there's a deep answer to this question, and there's kind of like the shallow answer. I'll give you the quick shallow answer, and then we maybe explore a little bit of the deep question. The, sh- the shallow answer is like, I didn't make the team um, after, from the sec- my second year at South Carolina. So I was only a walk-on for one year. And I was like, I want to go and study abroad. So I went to study abroad and loved it and moved there. The deeper part of that story is really when I went to Ireland, um, I left South Carolina where I grew up. And I played, obviously, I grew up in Columbia. I played, you know, University of South Carolina is in Colombia. My identity was very much tied to basketball. And I did not make that adjustment to making the team um, very well. I really struggle with people, all the people like identifying you as a basketball player. I did not like that type of popularity at all of being a Division One basketball player. Not that I was even that popular. I was the walk-on that never played. But still, I didn't do well with that. And I sure as heck did not do well when I lost my spot on the team. I like, well, that's it. My basketball career is over. And uh I really struggled with like, depression. And I was a mess. And I kind of went to Ireland just kind of like to get away from my hometown and just some of my life there. And when I got to Ireland, I, I could be who I wanted to be. Like, I, I could be myself, you know? Like, I, I stopped having to live in the shadow of I'm a basketball player. I was JP Nurban for the first time in really well over a decade because before that, I was everyone associated with me as with, as a basketball player, even in high school. Like, I, that's what I was. That was, I had this dream. So it was so freeing for me. And then, you know, I, 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 a year into it, I, I walked into a gym and said, Hey, I want to get back into basketball. And I just asked if they needed any basketball coaches. And Honestly, and within like four weeks, I was coaching like three different teams. In a year, I was coaching, I was 21 years old and I was coaching a semi pro men's team for, for, uh, they fired their Serbian coach and they said, we can get this guy for nothing. So I, I mean, it was just, I was in it. Um, and I mean, that's the long story there, but like it's just, it was, it was, it was a special place to get over there. And it was a way to break free from kind of maybe that basketball identity trap that I was caught up in.
2: Well, so, JP, my last question for you is um, in 2000, heading into the end tail end of 2021 here, does Thrive On Challenge have anything on the back burner that they're going to be launching? What's next for you guys?
3: Uh, so, I got another book coming out later this year. So, maybe I'll come back in the podcast to talk about that at some stage. That'd be great. Um, and,. Um, uh, we've got our retreat for coaches, which is really special. That comes up in August. We are doing that every year now. We had one in 2019. 2020 got canceled because of COVID, obviously. Um, it's 15 coaches and, um, we're out in, you know, in Utah, big cabin. It's all on site. All the meals are there. Um, p- pretty affordable. And that's a pretty special experience for presentations, a lot of connections, discussions. Um, I really value community and, and uh, that's what we're about in that retreat so there's that um, yeah we just keep plugging away at the podcast and working with coaches in the mentorship program I mean we are so so excited to have so many coaches that just want to be a part of this what we've really kind of built which is not just a mentorship program now but a community out that and outside of that, that we have coaches that are connecting with each other and talking to each other that, um, that we're working with. So I used to be just the only point of contact, but now we've been able to connect people. So that's, that's been pretty special as well.
0: Well, listen, JP, thank you so much. We're, uh, kept you over than what we normally go. So we don't want to take up all of your time, but we appreciate you coming on.
3: Yeah, this is great. It's great to talk to you again, Justin. And I, I, appreciate you guys doing a podcast on something that goes beyond the technical and tactical part and, and goes a little bit deeper, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coach, you want to finish up? Are you good? Anything yeah, else? I'm good,
2: man. JP, thanks for coming on. God bless and uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and, and blessing and serving others. We appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: safe travels back to the States here and uh, enjoy your time up in the Northeast. It's to it should be a nice summer, hopefully.
2: That's,
3: yeah. Yeah, it's, it can be better than the rain we get in Ireland every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Coach. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten.